0: Hi, Emily here, and thanks for joining us for today's episode of More Than My Stats. I'm a former volleyball player at the University of North Carolina, and I started this podcast to share what I wish I knew when I was an athlete and also in life after sport. Let's get into today's episode. Okay, hi, it's Emily here. Welcome back to a special bonus episode. Uh, Between seasons here, I wanted to still use this space as a platform to update on current events. And even though I thought this is gonna be my first Tuesday not releasing a podcast in eight months, here we are. Um, This episode is gonna be covering the Supreme Court ruling that came out Monday, June 21st, which is actually today when I'm recording this. And um, I was researching based on questions that I had on the NCAA versus Alston case, Um, questions then followers sent in on my Instagram story when I asked what questions they had. And I was starting to get a little overwhelmed with some of the basics, Uh, because I was reading on Twitter, just trying to figure out what this exactly meant. And there were words like antitrust and amateur status. And even though I was an NCAA athlete myself, understanding the legal ramifications and the impact of what this means for the NCAA and student athletes was a bit over my head. Uh, So I was gonna take this podcast solo, uh, just as my non-legal self, explaining it to people that don't have a good understanding of legal jargons. But as I was researching today, I found myself asking all these extra questions to my husband, who's a lawyer, and instead of just me trying to essentially say exactly what he said, I asked him to come on to explain these questions to me. Um, and now note, by the way, he is not a sport lawyer. He is not an antitrust lawyer. In fact, he is not even in litigation, which are the lawyers you see in courtrooms. Um, but He is very good at explaining legal jargon to someone without a legal background, so I wanted to have him on today so he could explain to us um, and answer some of my questions. This is also just meant to be a super quick, high-level discussion, so we're not going to get too much into the nitty-gritty of um, the the case and and why the the Supreme Court made the decision they did, but we are going to kind of explain the basics and what the impact is on the NCAA and, and in the weeks, months to come. Okay, so Josh, hi, Thank you so much for helping us um, and being a guest today.
1: Happy to be here and a big fan of the show and bigger fan of the host. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: so I guess first, um keeping it like high level, can you explain how even the Supreme Court works? Like how do you how does someone get to present a case to the Supreme Court so the justices are even making a
1: decision on it? Sure. So, uh, generally, the way that it works, Supreme Court is the highest appellate court uh, in the land. So cases start at, at the federal level in the district court. That's where uh, you would see a uh, a typical trial where both sides present evidence. Um, there could be a jury. There could be the judge deciding. Um, and if once a verdict is given, if um, either side is not you know happy with the verdict, um, they can appeal you know, um, to the court of appeals is, is the next appellate, uh, level and the court of appeals, there, there are different districts, um, depending on where geographically the case was that'll hear cases. Um, and typically they'll hear, uh, a certain issue. It's not a whole new trial. So they may hear there, there may be an appeal because, um, one of the parties thinks that the district court didn't apply the law correctly. So in the court of appeals, um, it would be a few judges will hear the case and then they will give a verdict. Um, and then still, if either side thinks that um, the issue is still not resolved, they can then appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, um, you know, the Court of Appeals probably only takes you know so many cases per year and the Supreme Court even takes fewer than that. So you can imagine there are very few cases that can actually make it up to the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah. So that makes sense. So, um, so someone can, Mike, I guess you can technically appeal for anything, but just because you appeal, like, I guess just because some, one side's not happy, isn't a good reason. You don't like what they said. Um, it's, they're not happy with how the law was interpreted, or they're not happy with some procedural part of the trial. So then they'll say, Hey, this needs to get a second look. And then the court of appeals can be like, no, nah, that's not a good enough reason. Or like, yeah, I think I think this is worth taking a look at. And then it's almost been the same process again for the Supreme Court.
1: Yes, exactly. And the Supreme Court doesn't have to take cases. There, are, there are a few rules in the Constitution about you know, Supreme Court has certain jurisdiction over certain cases. But um, yeah, it, whenever the Supreme Court's healing, hearing these um, cases that have been appealed, you know, it, it's it's um, something they may do to clarify. Law or um, to give more guidance on something.
0: Okay, so yeah, so the Supreme Court is pretty picky. It's not just because the leader of the NCAA who has millions of dollars can be like flashing this and being like, "Hey, I demand to get this case seen." Like it actually has to be a reason, which does make sense because honestly, the NCAA is not that old of an institution. There's certain laws like Title IX, which isn't that old of an inst- or a, of a rule that they followed, and really just in these past years, um, it's really boomed and in the the profit and revenue that they're making so i'm sure a lot of these these rules and bylaws that the ncaa had are now just kind of really starting to come under scrutiny for the first time because there may not be good precedent um that the courts are having to look at yeah yeah i think that's right okay so let me give our listeners a really high level on what this case was in case you haven't heard it um again this is ncaa versus Alston, and Alston is a group of football players and men and women basketball players that challenged the NCAA rules on providing benefits, and they did this based on antitrust grounds, which we're going to get to here in a minute. The athletes argued that the NCAA's cap on athlete compensation restrains competition among different universities for student-athlete talents. So basically, these athletes are arguing that the NCAA has essentially created a fixed price that the universities can pay for their their labor, which would be competing. And if it was instead a free market without that cap, uh, schools would and should be able to offer the athletes a lot more compensation. Um, so that is the, the very vague gist on how this kind of started. So Josh, can you please go into a little detail on? Um, what antitrust laws and some real world examples of antitrust laws.
1: Yeah. So uh, we do allow, um, there are some monopolies that exist, you know, the NCAA student athletes don't have another place to go quote unquote sell their labor, right? If you want to play college, um, you know, sport in college, you, you are um, restricted to the NCAA now. um, So the argument really isn't that, is the NCAA monopoly? So the NCAA acknowledges that, and we everyone acknowledges that we're fine with it. I mean, maybe some people aren't fine with it, but yes. <laughs> but we, for the purposes of
0: law, we're not fighting yeah. this. This was not fighting the monopoly part. Of. Sure.
1: Yes. Um, really, what we're looking at uh, the restraint of trade because um, the NCAA is restricting the educational um expenses compensation that um, student athletes are allowed to receive. So um that that's really kind of the if you want to look at a more narrow issue here and um kind of the big deal is, you know, um I, I think Kavanaugh and, and I'm sure we'll get to this in his concurring opinion said, you know, likened it to um if you know, restaurants decided that um, consumers would prefer it if their line cooks made less money. That's not really a good reason, um, a good enough reason under the law. That's just to restrain a trade. You're fixing your employees um, labor costs.
0: Right. Because um, I saw some I saw another justice was basically saying how you can't um, like, okay, it's weird that you're saying you want to keep this amateur status yet the coach's salary has skyrocketed. So it's like, okay, everyone's NCAA is benefiting, coaches are benefiting, schools are benefiting. Really the only one not benefiting is the labor So make this make sense. Um, and I guess, t- can you talk a little more then about what, so I, I totally get the argument for the student athlete side that they're saying like, hey, it's, it's actually unfair to cap this. Basically, you know what I said in, in the intro was you can't cap this, um, schools can be, like more valuable. Now, I would argue this can be hurtful to smaller institutions. Uh, There's already Mm -hmm. a lot of money and inequality in the sport. A school like, you know, obviously I went to UNC, you went to law school at Duke. These schools with the higher revenue will also then be able to have more appealing offers, which, you know, I'm not saying is necessarily a good thing for these smaller institutions. Um, However, you know, the, the point of this argument is essentially that they do like do these athletes deserve to get more, or should it all be capped at the smaller level to keep it equitable? Um, and you know, I don't even think that's really what the NCAA was saying. They weren't—that wasn't their main argument. But rather, their main argument was based around amateur status of college athletics. Mm-hmm. So, can you go a little more into the amateur stat, like what amateur status means, and why the NCAA—and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong—essentially base their argument around? amateur status being so important to college sports.
1: Yeah, no, I think um, you got exactly, you know, students are saying, hey, you're restricting what we can earn. And the NCAA is saying, well, we're doing that to protect um, the amateur status of our um, student athletes. So um, there's the NCAA bylaws, they you know flesh out what it means to be an amateur, but basically it's um, athletes who are not, Compensated for their skill um, and the NCAA says that includes endorsements and um, you know getting paid to do advertisements things like that so uh, what the NCAA is kind of their their view of it um, is that we need to if we do not cap these education related expenses, schools like Duke or UNC would use that as a loophole to probably give more money. To certain athletes to get them to come and play, and now it's no longer really an amateur sport, and that's that's really the product that the NCAA argues that it's selling. So it, it you know there are people who want to watch college basketball, for example, instead of the NBA, or or go to college basketball games instead of NBA games. Um, so to the uh, NCAA, this is about protecting um, the amateur status of their athletes which is protecting the product, you know, call it a product that they're selling to people at home.
0: Yeah. And and it's not just because so and the NCAA's argument was based around the fact, not just like, for example, I kind of like college sports. One, you know, they're they're younger. I like it because it's kind of like these mixed people who may not have met out of high school, like they're still developing. Um they're all like going to the same university, they're student athletes. Like this is, you know, I really enjoyed my student athlete experience. So that's why I kind of resonated with it. But the NCAA was really saying that, no, the main purpose that people watch it is because they're amateurs. They are, people want to watch this because they are not getting paid. And so that was kind of their whole argument then was that like, it's not just people prefer the prefer NCAA to NBA, for example, they prefer watching people who aren't getting paid.
1: Yeah, people yeah exactly, and and I think in the in the district court in the trial, you know, the NCAA may have even presented evidence, you know, saying that people prefer it this way, but exactly,
0: yeah, um, and so then that's basically what I was looking at some of the questions justices had, and they were really trying to like make sure they understood that that's basically what they were saying, and so to summarize again for our listeners, their ruling, uh, the Supreme Court upheld the Ninth Circuit's ruling, so that's the the smaller the previous court's ruling. Um, And it was really two main things. One, um, the NCAA, they said they can have rules that limit undergraduate scholarships and compensation related to athletic performance. So that's kind of like pay to play. Um, And so the Supreme Court says yes, like NCAA quote unquote wins that one, they get to keep their rule the same there. But uh, the next thing that is what was being talked about is what will be changing now based on the Supreme Court's ruling, and that is that the NCAA can no longer limit education-related expenses that schools can offer to its student-athletes. So this includes things like laptops and telescopes, microscopes. I I think I saw musical instruments, things like that. Um, But also things like graduate or vocational scholarships as well, Um, and this argument was that they, uh, like the NCAA, was trying to say that, hey, we're immune to these antitrust laws. Um, but the Supreme Court basically said, in you know words, no, you aren't. Um, so there's a. So what are the two things? There's a concurring opinion, and what's the other one?
1: The majority opinion.
0: Okay. And can you explain the difference between the majority opinion and concurring opinion before I say this next thing?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, uh, when you all are reading Supreme court cases at home in your free time, like I'm sure most of us do, you might see um, this one, you see Gorsuch gave the majority opinion. Uh, The majority opinion is, as it sounds, what the majority of justices thought. And this opinion is binding on lower courts. So in the future, for example, if the NCAA tried to um, implement a rule that was, they said, okay, we won't cap, you know, educational expenses, but we have to cap telescope expenses. You know, somebody, a court would look at the Supreme Court's ruling and they would apply what Justice Gorsuch and the other justices agreed upon. um, And that's how they would decide future cases. This is how it's supposed to generally work. And then the concurring opinion um, means that that justice agreed with the outcome, but they may have had a different way of getting there. Um, So it's not it's not binding on lower courts, but it can be persuasive. So lower court may look at what some of the things Justice Kavanaugh said and um, that may influence a decision, but that's not binding on lower courts. And then in this case, we don't have a dissenting opinion, but if you've ever seen that, that's when somebody disagrees with the majority and why.
0: Yeah. So this was unanimous. And so what I'm about to read is something that Justice Kavanaugh said in his concurring opinion, which means this is not legally binding. So like, it's not necessarily saying this is like what's happening for sure moving forward because um, what Gorsuch put out was much more, like less emotional, like it was much more just factual on what they felt about the case. Um, However, this kind of gives, I think, a good insight to their mindset for possible future cases, especially with name image likeness. Um, Okay, so Justice Kavanaugh said in his concurring opinion, quote, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. And under ordinary principles of antitrust law, it is not evident why college sports should be any different the NCAA is not above the law. And in other justices questioning and statements, um a lot of people were kind of saying echoing things like this when they were these justices were asking, like I said. Um, a lot of them, when I was reading the transcript, had concern about the large economic disparity between how much the NCAA was making and how little the players were making. Um, so coaches, like I said before, coaches' sky- salaries, again, were skyrocketing, but like players have absolutely no way to profit on that. Um, and I mean, it's not just things like, hey, we need to pay athletes a salary, right? It's things like name image likeness and even like hosting their own camps Get coaching, private lessons, things like that—that that NCAA athletes can't do. Um, okay, so I think that's a really good overview on everything. And what are some of the main takeaways for what this ruling means? What can we be looking to uh, next? Just really generally, that this ruling means for student athletes.
1: Right. So I, I think you—you know—we've we, talked about this. Kind of the the big takeaway is um, how are schools going to. Uh, Respond to the fact that they may be able to provide um, unlimited uh, compensation as it relates to educational benefits. You know, will schools like UNC and Duke promise thirty thousand dollar graduate school? You know, um, scholarships, things like that. And and schools may impose their own laws. Conferences may do different things. So I think now we're we're just going to see how is everybody going to respond to that. I think. you know, the, there's going to be a lot of name image likeness legislation probably that's going to follow um, based on this ruling. Um, and then I think the other, I think the big um, question that a lot of people are going to want to see, the court didn't touch it, but um, what does this decision mean for compensating athletes um, not related to benefit? you know, uh, educational benefits, you know, what, what, um, how will this reasoning apply to the next lawsuit when a student says I should be compensated for, you know, whether it's my name, image, likeness, or then it just becomes, you know, labor or, you know, I, I think that just opens up a lot of questions going forward.
0: Yeah. I think, um, so if listeners remember episode nine, um, we actually covered name, image, and likeness. And we talked all about what that was because we were anticipating a ruling coming out that next month. Obviously that did not happen. Um, but we name, image, likeness was getting a ton of attention. So in that episode, we go more into what it is, but basically it's things like using, um, an athletes as a when they're a current athlete, like you see many professional athletes do with endorsements, um, Instagram ads, things like that. Um, starting to be able to use their image as a student athlete for their own profit and advertising and endorsements. And so like Josh said, we are expecting now after this, a lot of people said that those talks were kind of tabled um, because there are gonna be some state bills being introduced. Uh, In some states, I think Florida did already, for example, um, but a lot of states were kind of tabling it because honestly, they didn't want to wait their time till they got a better pulse on what the Supreme Court was going to rule here. So this is kind of like, even though they did not touch name image likeness here, like Josh said, like that is not in the scope of it, but I think it is important. and I'm glad you brought that up as a takeaway because it is going to be the next thing that like all eyes are on name image likeness here. And it is possible too that the NCAA will have their legislation and that states can have their own legislation. And those are probably going to be pretty different. Like the states might be more liberal. For example, um, I know there's things like group licensing agreements that have been talked about in the state legislation, which is like we talked about previously, EA Sports. Um, If you know the general gist of that, is that players were being used like their jersey numbers sometimes their names on the back of it these athletes were looked exactly like the Mm -hmm. athletes same hairstyle same build um i think tattoos even they got they got extremely specific with these athletes and but like i think even schools might have been getting licensing deals for it but like the athletes themselves who these players are being being based off of aren't getting money so The group licensing agreements states might cover, which probably the NCAA legislation won't touch, for example. So it's going to be very interesting seeing the similarities and differences and kind of seeing where this goes from here. Um, But go ahead and listen to episode nine for more on that. And as updates come there um, and new legislation or bills are being presented, we'll keep you updated on that. Um, Anything else I missed there? Is there anything else that you read that you think our listeners should know? I think that's.
1: I I think that those are some really great takeaways. And I'm sure, you know, like Emily said, you know, I'm I'm not a sports attorney and by no means an expert in the field. And there's going to be probably a lot of um, writing from different um, journalists and opinion pieces that will um, lawyers that will talk about, you know, what's to come. So uh, for your viewers, I would say to just kind of keep your eyes peeled for, you know, different things that are gonna be written in the next few days, probably weeks.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. This is, like I said, always has to be a big overview. If there's a podcast we find that we find breaks it down more for people who really like getting into the uh, nitty gritty details of it, we'll make sure I link that um, if you follow us on Instagram. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a good spot to end it. Um, so thank you so much, Josh, for joining us today. I think this was a perfect little, um, you know, keeping current when it's kind of a hard place to even get started. So you can really understand even the tweets or the articles you see. So I think this is a perfect place. Uh, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, it, it was almost like I was back in law school. So <laughs> I'm glad to be here.
0: Well, I'm glad to keep you uh, fresh with your bar studying. But uh, thank you, um, and thank you, listeners. Until next time.